Welcome to Four Quarter Lives, a podcast exploring the profound impact of longer, healthier, and more engaged lives, not only for ourselves and our couples, but also for companies and countries. I'm Aviva Wittenberg-Cox, and on this week's Four Quarter Lives, I talk with Don Brown. Don is the People and Talent Director of Fuller's, a hospitality company that runs some 200 pubs and restaurants in the UK, across London and Hampshire, employing some 5,000 people. In today's talent-strapped Britain, Fuller's has been running contrary to the ageism many people accuse companies of. They've been avidly going out to recruit older workers and wooing them in with flexibility and benefits. Don Brown shares why this is so important for the business, what generational balance brings, and how to build it sustainably. Don Brown, welcome to Four Quarter Lives. Delighted to have you with us. Delighted to be here. Thank you. So, Don, this podcast is called Four Quarter Lives, and Fuller's is a rare company that seems to employ people in every quarter, from 16 to 90. Can you explain why, and who's your target market? I'm not sure there's a why. I'm almost sure there's a why not. (laughs) rather than a why. I'm Fair enough, whatever gets us there. So we're a hospitality business and hospitality is a sector that historically welcomes everybody, no matter how old they are or what stage of their life that they're at. And also one of our values, actually, we're a very values-led business and one of our values is celebrating individuality. And all of our pubs and hotels are individuals and all of our people are individuals and all of our customers are individuals. So a lot of companies would say that, right? Everybody says they're customer centric and they're in, you know, focused on the customer. It's just that then they ignore everybody over 50. Well, absolutely. And so when, when you actually look at our customer demographic, it's vast. It's from babies to octogenarians. To, so why wouldn't you have a workforce that was reflective of your customer demographic? And so that there isn't really a, a kind of why. There's a there's a why not. And when you ask who our target market is, again, I would say from an age perspective, there isn't one. We're a liquor serving, we're a licensed business. So for some of our roles, you have to be 18. That's kind of, but otherwise... I'm not sure we have really a target market. Interestingly, in hospitality, many of our roles have low barriers to entry. So we talk a lot about recruiting for personality and then training for skill. And so age really doesn't get in the way of that. In fact, it's a bit of life experience is often an advantage. So you don't really focus or target age. And yet you're when we first spoke, you are one of the rare companies because I mm. talk to a lot of companies and I'm working with them. And I find they often don't look at age at all. And yet you were paying some pretty close attention to the age of your employees and customers because post pandemic, you noticed, which is more than some, that you were losing a lot of your 50 plus employee population and then seeing a slightly disproportionate rise in your very young group of 16, 17 year olds. So that's what launched this first recruitment campaign targeting older workers. So can you say a little bit why you even measured how or how that came onto the radar and what did you learn in the whole process of trying to attract a different balance? So we do measure. We do measure lots of different things around our people. We measure how happy and engaged people are by gender, by age demographic, by lots of different things. But actually it was 
being out and about in our business, of which we spend a lot of time out and about in our business, that first prompted the thought of, hmm, there appears to be a lot more young people joining our business. That's interesting. Oh, I wonder what the problems that brings. I wonder what the opportunities that brings. I wonder what. And then when we went and looked at the numbers, we found that our numbers of workers over 50 had reduced from about 25% of our workforce down to 7%. In what kind of a gap? In how long? In the three years of the pandemic. Of COVID. Of COVID. And I can understand some of the reasons why that might be. But we were also in the place where recruitment generally was really challenging. So it's very hard to find people at the moment. And at the same time, what we were hearing coming out of the government and out of external viewpoints was the fastest growing area of people looking to work are over 50. So it seemed almost crazy to me that we'd lost quite a lot of 50 year olds. We know we're a great place to work for that age demographic of people. And we need people. And so somehow we needed to join this up together. But accessing that demographic of people is the most challenging thing for us because we do much of our recruitment digitally online via these huge job boards. And so we needed to, I guess, be a bit more creative about how we did that. And and to be honest, we went and found some experts. So we partnered with an organisation called Restless who are a brilliant organisation, actually fairly small, who have an amazing digital platform for 50-plus-year-olds. It's a community community of 50-plusers that offers this kind of service. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they talk about money and dating and all kinds of things. But they also provide opportunities for that community to, to work if they want to. And so we started to use their platform to talk about our careers, to talk about our jobs, to talk about what we might have to offer and actually, we learned quite a lot from them as well. And it's great to have a partner that can teach you things. It was a bit of a new thing for hospitality. And many of our competitors have since got on the bandwagon a little bit, but it was quite a new thing. And, and look, I would say it's helped our learning. And in terms of recruitment, we've had about 200,000 views of our jobs, more than 200 applications. And we've recruited some brilliant, brilliant people not just in the roles that you would expect, but we've had a couple of chefs who've come through them who decided to retire and chefs are like hen's teeth in my business. And (laughs) that's been wonderful. So it's been a really positive partnership for us and we've just extended it actually for another year. So I'm I'm curious because we now hear in the media every day that there are some 300,000 people of that age demographic who haven't come back after the pandemic in the UK the way they have in other countries. Did you find this was a reluctant population to come back to work? What what did you learn about this segment and work? So I'm not sure I would describe them as reluctant. I think the biggest challenge for us was connecting with this element of the population. But when we did connect with them, we didn't find them any more or less reluctant than any other age demographic. I think there's a real danger that you label people by their age demographic. And actually, we found these people were were very similar to other age demographics. Can you give me a job that I'm interested in, that I get some value out of and I think I can add value to? Can you give me an environment where I can flourish and be myself? And that means having conversations that I would want to have, coming to work dressed in the way I want to dress, you know, all those sorts of things. They're just the same as every other age group ones. 
the output might just be slightly different. So you say they're just the same, but actually what also I found really, really interesting in our conversation was that you said that the secret metric of success for your whole business is stability, stability in these restaurants. And somehow that was one of your concerns in this sudden influx of young people is that Mm -hmm. the teams in these restaurants became less stable. Can you explain how generational balance seems to shift that particular KPI? Yeah, so it's almost a bit counterintuitive. So by providing flexibility, you can get more stability. That sounds a bit counterintuitive, but the one thing I think all generations have in common is that they're looking for flexibility in work and for different reasons, for wholly different reasons. You know, I might be caring for my grandchildren or I might want to work around my children being at school or in our industry, I might have a second job or I might want to be an actor or I want to do some traveling or I'm doing some learning. I'm a student. I mean, it's all different reasons, but they want more flexibility, which means that we're increasingly seeing less full time in the traditional way of full time workers and many more part time workers, which means our teams are getting bigger actually. And those bigger teams... Yeah, you, can you share those numbers? You said that your traditional team was, what, 30, 40 people? Yes, I can give you a specific example. So in one of our pubs, we used to run this big business, and we used to run that business on about 50 people. And those 50 people, the vast majority of them would be full-time. That business now has 83 employees, because the vast majority of them are part-time. And it's this desire for flexibility. As we get more people in teams, and as those people, many of them get younger, and the fastest growing area of our workforce is 16 and 17 year olds. That's gone from just pre-pandemic of about 11% to being 20% of our workforce. Those, those 16, and, and again, I'm generalizing slightly, but those 16 and 17 year olds can be less confident customer facing they've had less life experience they're less comfortable in having those conversations having someone who's got more life experience and often has had their own children who've got their own children of that age and they know how to have those conversations and they know how to build confidence in your 16 and 17 year olds it adds immense value it adds value adds social value to the team in terms of making it feel like a family and one of the reasons people work for fullers is because we create a really family environment. It adds to that family feeling. It adds to that feeling of care. And if you're being really commercial about this, gives our customers better experience, puts more cash in the till. Brilliant. Always round. So we definitely find that those diverse teams are more stable and more stability gives a better customer experience. It's, it's a win-win Cool. And interesting that it remains fairly rare. So I want to dig in a little bit to the whole talent side of this equation, recruiting and retaining all these different generations. Your your oldest employee is 90, nine zero. Now that's an unusual business. So who and where is that? (laughs) So the wonderful... What's the tenure? So she has worked for us for 15 years. So just work that out. We hired her when she was 75. So she's worked for us for 15 years. She doesn't work full time anymore. She doesn't work a lot. But she works in one of our wonderful Bell and the Dragon sites. And she's fabulous. And she's loved by the customers. It's an incredible thing. But she's not 
the only one actually. We also have a good handful of team members who are in their 80s and we've grown actually those over 50 workers. One of the things we've got a long way to go to get back to the 25%, but we're about 11% now up from 7%. So we're going in the right direction. Age is not a barrier for us at all. That's wonderful. How how do you segment ages? Do you segment ages either on the talent or the customer front? Is it when you're looking at those data and you first notice that decrease of the overfit, are you looking by decade, by life stage, by quarter? Yeah, we tend to look at it by decade, actually. I, I love your terminology, four quarter lives. And I wonder if that's something we'll think about. But we look at it at the moment by decade. And in our customers, it tends to be behaviorally driven. We talk about a slightly older generation who are maybe less likely to experiment or want want something a bit more stable. We tend to talk about it behaviorally with customers rather than in specific age ranges. Which leads me logically to the next question that we're all struggling a bit with vocabulary in the Mm -hmm. aging space. So do you, that's why I came up with my four quarters because it was, what do you call different age? Do you call them? I mean, we're in generations, Gen Z, Gen Millennials. Do you use that internally? You know, I'm not sure I have an answer to that question. It's really, really challenging. So the danger for me of doing this Gen Z thing is it's almost become a derogatory label for people. Gen Z workers, they only want things their own way. They don't want to come to work on time. They don't, do you know, again, that's not my experience. It's not my lived experience. And I think the labels can be unhelpful for us in my organization particularly, but I haven't found the best way to do it at all. Yeah. I, I give I give you my second and third quarters. It's a, it's a pretty <laughs> neutral, inclusive, you know, Q1, you go from Q1 to Q4, which is really like cool, it. right? Yeah, great. So in a tight labor market like what we've got, what did you learn from this recruitment campaign of older people? I mean, I know the similarity of all mm-hmm. generations is that they want more flexibility. Is there anything particular that these Q3, Q4s want or hate? I think one of the things we learned is that they hate being treated differently, actually. <laughs> so why am I being treated differently? Because I'm Q3 or Q4. But we also learn that sometimes their motivations are different. So they might want the same thing. They might want flexibility, but their motivations can be often different for the way that they come to work. So, but for a number of actually the people of this generation, we find it's not a financial motivation. It's a social motivation for those people that live on their own. And they make choices about where they work in slightly different ways, I've noticed as well. So is there someone like me in that business already? So the businesses we've got with those 50 plus workers tend to find it easier to attract more of them. If you've got businesses with lots of younger workers, it's quite hard to attract your first one or two, and then you can really make it sing. But that that kind of social reason to work is quite interesting. And the view of I work where I am a customer for, or I'm happy to work at a business that I can advocate for. So, yeah, you know, we talk about the younger generation having this kind of social conscience and being really interested in your ESG strategy and those sorts of things. The older generation, in my experience, they don't want to work somewhere that they can't feel proud of. They don't want to work somewhere where they don't feel that they can have that conversation with their friends about what they do. 
So, I, yeah, I think we learned a bit about motivation. Did you have to offer any other benefits or found that any other benefits that you offered resonated particularly mm. with the older crowd you know, beyond did, flexibility? We did test our current benefits with the older crowd, actually through Restless. And we've not long reinvigorated our benefits package, actually. So we've got one of the most popular benefits we have is our own internal discount card that we call Indulgence, and it gives you discount off using our own businesses. That's very popular with our, because again, they choose to work maybe where they socialise. Where they like to eat. Yeah, exactly. So that's, so that's really popular. The other benefit that we introduced not very long ago was a healthcare cash plan, because we're, what we were told by our team members is in times where well-being is at a premium and where financially things are difficult we really struggle with paying for a dentist appointment paying for a physio appointment buying my glasses or paying for an optician's appointment and we struggle to see our own gp so we introduced the package that allows our team members discount for things like it. it effectively pays for your annual dentist appointment your annual optician's appointment and there's a 24 hour seven-day-a-week GP helpline that you can use free of charge, which means you don't have to wait for your own GP. And those things went down just as well with our older workers as they did with our younger workers, actually. So is there any difference in motivation, benefit usage between Q2, Q3? No. No. That's interesting. and, And I got that completely wrong because our benefits platform is all digital. You use an app. We have our own employee app that you can use to check your payslip and to look at your rotors and you access the benefits through that app. You go into a platform and you can get its count on shopping and lots of different things. And I wrongly assumed that there would be less take up of that the older you got. Absolutely not true. Again, okay. our own biases about So yeah, we're learning to we're learning to kill our own biases. Absolutely. So let's go a little bit into the leadership issues. You you have a leadership team of a couple of hundred mm-hmm. full-time people, while you know there's a growing part-time popularity among your employees. I'm just curious, will that part-time ever come into the leadership lexicon? Will we start seeing leaders uh, flex, job shared, whatever? I think we will. I think we're already seeing that in the leadership of our kitchens. So for our head chefs, we have condensed hours contracts, guaranteed certain weekends off contracts, four days a week contracts. We're already seeing that. We're already seeing that. And in our general manager community, the 200 people who lead our pubs and hotels, we're definitely seeing what I would call more everyday flexibility about the way that they work. But we haven't yet moved into a job share, part-time. But I mean, I, I for one hope it will hope it will come. We're seeing it in our leadership teams in the support office a bit more. So those support office functions definitely are demanding a bit more flexibility from us. So I think it will come. So what's the what's the gender and generational balance of your leadership team? Are we skewing one gender or one particular age group? So gender-wise, we're about 70-30 in terms of pub leadership teams, 70% male. In our support office, leadership-wise, we're almost exactly balanced now. 
it's a conscious journey we've been on the gender balance. When I joined Fuller's 11 years ago, I used to joke at the leadership team meetings that there was never a queue for the ladies' loo. And in fact, I stood it in our senior leadership meeting, our annual leadership conference last year and said, wow, how things have changed. When I first stood here 10 years ago and looked out at this group of people, they were all male. And now there are more women than men in the room. So we've made some really good progress on that. Um, there's much more to do on the broader diversity agenda. We are a long way from done yet. Generationally, it's really mixed. It's really mixed. So we have some pub and hotel leaders. This has been their career. And they've run a number of different pubs and hotels for us. They're definitely in their second quarter of lives. Lots of them in their third quarter. Yep. And we spend a lot of time growing our own. So of our pub leaders, of the 200 of them, 123 of them, we've grown ourselves. Again, some of those have come to us as 18, 19-year-olds thinking hospitality was a, a short-term stopgap, fallen in love with it, and they've grown their career with us. And they, some of them are in that first in that first quarter, actually, that hospitality is very special. Which is, which is rare, right? Because usually that's the issue, is the leadership team really skew all that everybody else skews. Really rare. There are not many sectors where you can run a multi-million pound business in your 20s. And hospitality is, is one of them. And we have some brilliantly successful 20-odd-year-olds in our business. Good. I hope you've got some Q tours about to become listening. <laughs> so last chapter is I want to, I want to turn to customers now and do a little bit the same analysis, and maybe you'll have the same answer that there are no differences, but what do older customers want? Is it changing and is it different? We found our older generation of customers have been slower to come back to hospitality post the pandemic. And we've had to do a great deal more reassurance with them about how we're keeping them safe. And it feels like we're getting past that now. Do they want the same things as younger people? Often no, but that isn't necessarily linked to age. It's linked to occasion. So do I use my pub or hotel for business meetings? Do I use it to bring my children or my grandchildren for lunch? It's linked to occasion, I think, rather than necessarily linked to age. We do talk about a demographic of customers who tend to be, and again, tend to be, uh, they know what they drink. They tend to be real ale drinkers, maybe, uh, or they know what wine they like, or they know. So there is a little bit of that community. And, and some of our businesses operate in environments which are much high density, older generation. Right. You were talking about the difference between your Hampshire businesses and your London-based, which serve very different age demographics. Really different age demographics, really different. A city bar that's all food at lunchtime, swift because I'm getting back to work. So all drinking in the evening because I'm really social. I'm socialising before I get back on the train home. So Hampshire businesses where I'm accommodating people who want to come for a longer, lazier lunch or who are bringing their families and friends out for lunch. It's a very different thing. So is it a very different environment and is it targeted and designed <laughs> since you have these different age demographics? So what's the difference? Like what do the younger crowds want it, in a... It's definitely, it's definitely carefully designed to accommodate the type of experience we're trying to provide. So the environment, the lighting, uh, the music, everything is carefully crafted to provide almost that unique experience for that business. So 
you know, a, a big glass box in the city, which is all about drinking, has got a carefully designed bar to allow people to be served quickly, to allow you to have enough space to stand and drink. You would never do that in some of our Hampshire businesses, which were designed with comfortable chairs and lots of space around the table so people can get in and out easily. Lots of, you know, less much focus on the bar because people want to sit and eat more. So they're, they're definitely carefully designed to meet the customer experience that we're trying to provide. As a London-based 60-year-old, I'm in, my pet peeve is the noise level in London restaurants and the menus printed so small that everybody, you know, you can see half the room taking their their phones out to turn the flashlight on. Am I alone? I mean, is, this, uh, is there particular restaurants you can tell me where I can go and get a, get a Hampshire-like experience in the heart of London? I don't think you're alone in that at all. Um, uh, we're pretty good at the music thing. We're probably less good at the menu font size thing, I would say, if I'm honest. Uh, okay, so what are, if any, it sounds like um, there are too many, but are, what are the biggest obstacles to balance? Is it, you know, is it stereotypes, government regulations? Is it individual mindsets that you have to kind of convince different groups to come and play? What's the, in your HR background, what are you most fighting? I think I'm lucky in the type of organisation that I work in, where there's very little out and out bias about generations in our in our business. I, I definitely think there's a mindset piece though, and there's an assumption about digital savviness. So can I you know, can I use our iPad to put somebody's order into the system? Well, you look like you might be over 50. You might not be very much good at that. Now, my 98-year-old grandmother, who's better at Facebook and all those things than I am, would definitely argue with that. But there's a little bit of that to get over, I think. There's also a bit of a mindset around hospitality is hard work. And am I fit enough to do that as I get a bit older? Uh, And again, you know, we've proven that that is not necessarily the case at all. But I think other than that, in our business, there isn't much to battle against. I think from a government perspective, you and I have had this conversation. I am a little frustrated that we, that much of our, we we pay something called an apprenticeship levy to help develop people's careers and to give them a qualification. And we we invest a lot of money in that. It's It's a tax effectively. And we can only use that for people on apprenticeships. Does apprenticeships have an age limitation? It doesn't have an age limitation. But if this is your second career or something you're doing around your grandchildren, you don't necessarily want to go maths and English and all those kind of things. But I do want so to. So it's be- the particular requirements in this definition of an apprenticeship it that is. are the obstacle. assuming that everybody is at the young end of the spectrum. Absolutely. And it has great value, but we're missing a trick, I think. And that's interesting because that's certainly not only your sector that would be affected by this particular. And it's interesting since the government is desperately trying to get the over 50 back into work. what What would it take? What's the just a redefinition of what is an apprenticeship and what's required? definition of creating a career because what the government are trying to 
do, I think, is make apprenticeships real careers, a real way to learn and have a career at the same time, which is really valuable. I can still have a career and learn at 50, but I may just not want to go back and do maths and English like I did at school. I think it's that redefinition a little bit that recognises that in this instance, generations do have different expectations and different needs and wants. Yep. And we might have to rebrand that word apprenticeship to something like build mastery. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I hope somebody's listening. I, I want to conclude by turning this a slightly more personal, Don, just in conclusion, your own four quarters and your own career, you've spent it entirely in the hospitality sector, but across very different organizations and employers. How and what age did you get drawn in and uh, what keeps you there? Great question. So I had my first job in a pub washing up when I was 14. <laughs> Ah, so you got the bug. I loved it. I I loved the social side of it. I was intrigued by the way that people use the pub for different things. Pubs are so special. They're very special places for the community to celebrate, to commiserate. They're lifelines for some people. And then I went away from pubs for a lot of years and spent much of my early part of my career actually in the travel industry where the kind of excitement and, I don't know, the appeal of travel was the thing that floated my boat for a while. But I, I stay in hospitality, I think, because it genuinely impacts lives. And I guess if I was to describe my purpose in life, it would be about making work good for people. Work is a good thing for people. And my, you know, my purpose is to try in my own organisation to, to make work a good thing. And hospitality is a great place to do that in. And it's a lot of fun. That sounds like a very good sales pitch, too. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, on my Four Quarter Lives podcast, Mm -hmm. I always conclude with every guest by asking them to summarize their own four quarters with a word, a metaphor or a phrase. How would you summarize the quarters you've done and the quarters you hope to still have ahead? It's a brilliant question and it really makes you think, actually. So I would say the first 25 years of my life were very much about exploration and learning and trying to fit in. It was something about wanting to be the same as everybody else before you get to 25. And then you get to 25 maybe-ish, and the next 25 years for me, well, I haven't quite, you know, I haven't quite got there yet, about achievement and maybe trying to be a bit different. (laughs) I want to be different to everybody else now, suddenly... And I've got three years to go till I hit 50, so I'm not far away. And I'm already feeling, I'm hopeful, I think, that that next quarter is going to be about acceptance and being comfortable in my own skin and not trying to be the same and not trying to be different, but maybe just trying to be myself. And I do feel like it's taken me till my 40s to figure out who I am and to get a bit comfortable with that and... I always say women hit adulthood at 50. So there yeah. you go. You're almost there. Yeah, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. And 75 plus, both of my grandmothers lived till their 90s. So I've got a long way to go when I get to 75. I'm, I won't be done yet. And what do you want Q4 to be or hold or offer? Um, what did legacy, they roll on? Legacy. I think legacy. You know, both of my grandmothers had a huge impact on my life. And if I can do the same for my grandchildren and the legacy that you leave. I think that's the critical thing for me. 
Dawn Brown, wonderful. I wish you wonderful quarters to come. Thank you so much for sharing your story and all the good work that you're creating at Fuller's. Thank you. For more thinking about the impact of our four quarter lives, you can read my column at Forbes and subscribe to my Elderberries newsletter on Substack. Let's design lives that aren't just longer, but better. <laughs>